Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, we are loaded for bear. We've got a lot to, to work through here, ladies and gentlemen, so thank you for being here. You're going to want to be here all three hours. It's exciting, isn't it? I could do this for 10 hours, there's so much to talk about. But let's get started here, you've heard it on the news, Wow. Look at this. 370 former prosecutors wrote a letter. And they said they would have indicted the president of the United States for obstruction had he not been president. 300 former prosecutors. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there's about 50,000 former prosecutors, maybe 100,000. Federal, state, local. So this is completely a, a joke. It's what we call pseudo-events here. It's a pseudo-story in order to create news. Now, let's, let's walk through this. And over there at the Washington Compost, Matt Zapatosky, if that is his name, he felt this was a compelling story, as they do all over the media, because, again, it's a pseudo-story. It's just something to concoct manufacture news. Trump would have been charged with obstruction were he not president. Hundreds of former federal, okay, federal prosecutors assert, now you know we have a problem in the federal prosecutor corps. If clowns like this are signing letters like this, they weren't even involved in the case. They weren't even involved in the case. And they clearly are mostly constitutional illiterates. Because they're not familiar with the 2005 Supreme Court case, right on point, dealing with obstruction, that their hero, Andrew Weisberg... Andrew Weisberg was involved in. And I blame Mueller for this. That volume two of his report opened the door to all this. So every clown former prosecutor, and they're everywhere, they're a dime a dozen. That's right, I said it. They're a dime a dozen. The liberals. Out of the woods. And I was uh, once a prosecutor. Who gives a damn? More than 370 former federal prosecutors who worked in Republican and Democratic administration. Now, let's stop there. If you're a federal prosecutor, 99% of federal prosecutors worked in Republican or Democratic administration. You know why, Mr. Producer? Because they're civil servants, their career. Their career. So to say they worked in Republican and Democratic administrations is to say nothing. But let's continue with this pablum have signed on to a statement asserting special counsel Robert Mueller III's findings would have produced obstruction charges against President Trump if not for the office he held. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to how stupid that is, how stupid these former federal prosecutors are. But for the fact that the president of the United States 
holds the office that he holds, and but for the fact that he did not, did not assert attorney-client privilege or executive privilege as a result of being president of the United States holding the office he holds, there would have been no investigation. And whatever they have is thanks to the fact that he didn't assert any privilege. So to say, but for the fact that he's president of the United States, but for the fact that he's president of the United States, this wouldn't be an issue of any kind whatsoever. There'd be no Robert Mueller. These guys are, and gals are former federal prosecutors. They're not constitutional experts. They don't know crap. They're slip and fall lawyers at this point. Let's continue. These statements signed by myriad former career government employees. Okay. As well as high-profile political appointees. Who are they? Offers a rebuttal to Attorney General William Barr's determination that the evidence Mueller uncovered was not sufficient to establish Trump committed a crime. It offers nothing. This is a pseudo-story. It's a non-news story. It is a concoction. And they knew it when they put that letter together. They knew what it was. Mueller himself had declined to say one way or the other whether Trump should have been charged, citing a Justice Department legal opinion that sitting presidents cannot be indicted, as well as concerns about the fairness of accusing someone for whom there can be no court proceeding. Stop. Now, this part is propaganda. We're going to keep doing this. This is propaganda. Why? Because Mueller was specifically asked by Barr on more than one occasion, and Barr testified to this under oath. And this phony reporter for this Washington compost pretend that it didn't happen. He was asked, is the reason you decided not to act on so-called obstruction of justice is because of the two Department of Je- uh, Justice memos over half a century ago? He says no. He says no. Let's go on. Former federal prosecutors wrote, quote, each of us believes that the conduct of President Trump described in special counsel Robert Mueller's report would, in the case of any other person not covered by the Office of Legal Counsel policy against indicting a sitting president, result in multiple felony charges for obstruction of justice. This is scary stuff. This is like those psychologists and psychiatrists who are giving an analysis of President Trump's mental health as well as the mental health of his supporters. Every one of these clowns should be disbarred. We emphasize that these are not matters of close professional judgment. Of course, there are potential defenses or arguments that could be raised in response to an indictment of the nature we describe here. But to look at these facts and say that a prosecutor could not probably sustain a conviction for obstruction of justice, the standards set out in principles of federal prosecution runs counter to logic in our experience. What a bunch of slobs. The statement is notable for the number of people who signed. See this? Pseudo story. Hey, uh, Ernie, what? Let's call the boys and girls that we worked with, you know, in the U.S. Attorney's Office for, uh, for Puttsville and, and, and Schmuckstam and all the rest of it. Let's call them all together and see if we can't get a letter signed. Okay. Because, you know, we were at the Hillary Clinton victory party and she lo- Oh, she did lose. Uh, we don't like that. And uh, we gave donations to Obama and Clinton and so forth. Oh, yes, we did. And we hate this president. Oh, yes, we do. Let's all get a letter together. We'll give it to the media and they'll eat it. 
and digest it and burp it up for us. Let's do that. Okay? Okay. 375 signed as of Monday afternoon. And the positions and political... This is the problem with politicizing criminal justice, which is exactly what Mueller did. This is another example for history. Another example for history. Among the high-profile signers are Bill Weld. Well, let me tell you about Bill Weld. Because they mention here that he served in the Reagan administration. Uh, and let me tell you about Donald Ayer, former Deputy Attorney General, too. But let, let, me, let me focus first on Bill Weld. Bill Weld is a backstabbing, no-good, unethical piece of you-know-what. He was the head of the criminal division in the Reagan uh, administration. And he tried to conduct a coup against the Attorney General of the United States, Ed Meese. See, Weld is good at this sort of stuff. And he did it to publicize himself because he wanted to run for governor of, uh, of Massachusetts. He'd been the U.S. Attorney. And he and the former Deputy Attorney General of the United States, Arnold, I forget his name, Bernstein, went to President Reagan near, near the end of the Reagan administration and said, Mr. President, you need to get rid of Ed Meese, this why, blah, 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 blah. And Reagan said, no, I'm not. And they both resigned. They created all kinds of drama. There were hearings left and right. The Democrats seized on this. They tried to force the Attorney General out and undermine President Reagan's agenda. That's Bill Weld. And in left-wing Massachusetts, he ran that all the way to the attorney general, uh, excuse me, to the governor position. And he's back. And he signs a letter. He signs a letter. Donald Ayer is no better. No better at all. Paul Rosenswag, who served as senior counsel at independent Kenneth Starr. Ken Starr doesn't hold that position. So what are you going to do? You're going to walk or you go around and get the names of miscreants, malcontents, among others, who just have a different viewpoint? Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. 375 former federal prosecutors. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of former federal prosecutors. The list also includes more than 20 former U.S. attorneys. 20 former U.S. attorneys. Wow. And they're appointed by whom? Presidents political positions. More than 100 people with at least 20 years of service at the Department of Justice. So what? Most of them former career officials. So what? The signers worked in every presidential administration since that of Dwight Eisenhower. Do you see how this is written? There's political people. There's non-political people. They worked in every administration since Eisenhower. Well, who worked in what administration? You're just sort of throwing them all together. These signatures were collected, listen to this, by the nonprofit group Protect Democracy, which counts Justice Department alums among its staff. It was contacted about the statement last week by a group of former federal prosecutors, said Justin Vail, an attorney at Project Democracy. Project Democracy is a left-wing group. Google it. A left-wing group. It is, what did he just say? It's a non oh. A non-profit left-wing group. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? That means, as a non-profit left-wing group, it's tax-exempt. More than that, contributions are tax-deductible in most cases. Very political, isn't it? 
Well, we have the signature of Bill Weld. Well, that tells you everything you need to know. Everything you need to know. And you have a lot of never-Trumpers in the group, of course, a lot of the Bushies, a lot of the uh, rhinos. and So So this is a phony issue. This is a, uh, a pseudo-event, and this is one of the reasons I wrote the book on freedom of the press. I've got a whole chapter on this sort of stuff. So you can start the process when you see things like this to explain, oh, that's not news. That's a pseudo-event. That, that is, that's manufacturing. A letter created, that's not news. And we've talked about that. The man who came up with this concept, or characterized it most brilliantly, was uh, an iconic historian and professor from the University of Chicago, Daniel Borston, who would become uh, head of the uh, Library of Congress. And he wrote a book in 1961, as I mentioned, uh, what, a month ago, called The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America. And he explained that with the advent of round-the-clock media, quote, the news gap soon became so narrow that in order to have additional news for each new edition or each new broadcast, it was necessary to plan in advance the stages by which any available news would be unveiled. With more space to fill, the newsman had to fill it ever more quickly. News gathering turned into newsmaking. Moreover, pseudo-events spawn other pseudo-events in geometric progression. This is partly because every kind of pseudo-event being planned tends to become ritualized with a protocol and a rigidity all its own. And as each type of pseudo-event acquires this rigidity, pressures arise to produce other derivative forms of pseudo-events, which are more fluid, more tantalizing, more interestingly ambiguous. Now, what does he mean by this? We started with Russian collusion. We got a special counsel. We have two years of leaks, two years of phony news and opinions. The American people are drenched with this propaganda. The whole thing was a pseudo-event. They come up empty, so they have to create another pseudo-event. And what is it? Oh, look at volume two, obstruction of justice. Oh, now we have a letter. And now we have to hold the attorney general in contempt. Look at all this. All manufactured. Nowadays, he writes, the test of a Washington reporter is seldom his skill at precise dramatic reporting, but more often his adeptness at dark intimation. If he wishes to keep his news channels open, he must accumulate a vocabulary and develop a style to conceal his sources and obscure the relation of a supposed event or statement to the underlying facts of life, at the same time seeming to offer hard facts. Perfect example of this process involves the so-called Russia collusion allegation. Summarize. Started as a political accusation level against candidate Donald Trump by Hillary Clinton in her campaign, followed by political demands by Democratic members of the Senate and House for the appointment of the special counsel, despite the lack of any criminal prerequisite, the chorus of Democratic Party press outlets and their reporters encouraging such an appointment by promoting the demands, the actual appointment of Robert Mueller's special counsel, the countless leaks and speculations about the investigation, the indictments, plea deals, and convictions of individuals absolutely unrelated to the original allegation of Russia collusion and President Trump, the various investigative tributaries flowing from the Mueller investigation, including the subsequent investigation by the Southern District of New York leading to Cohen's plea deal and so forth. This was followed by news reports speculating about President Trump's legal peril and implications that he would be indicted, that he was already secretly indicted, that his son Donald Jr. would be indicted, that his son-in-law Jared would be indicted, 
uh, the point is reached where pseudo events and the pseudo news drive the Democratic Party press and the progressive agenda, which clearly includes the removal of President Trump from office. Now, I could read more from there, but I won't. That's obviously from Unfreedom of the Press. I see we're number 45 on Amazon, Mr. Produce. Did you see that? Where is everybody? Where is everybody? I want to strongly encourage you. Go to Amazon now. You're gonna, all this is going to make a ton of sense to you. A ton of sense to you. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. So we have these prosecutors, ladies and gentlemen, leaked to the Washington Post, New York Times. Those, those are the key places they leak to, because they know that stuff will be picked up by the other left-wing outlets. By the report's account, Trump, after learning he was being investigated for obstruction, told his White House counsel to have Mueller removed. When that didn't work, according to Mueller's report, Trump tried to have a message passed to Attorney General Jeff Sessions to limit the scope of Mueller's authority. Of that episode, Mueller's team wrote that was substantial evidence to indicate Trump was trying to prevent further investigative scrutiny of himself and his campaign. All this conduct, trying to control and impede the investigation against the president by leveraging his authority over others, similar to the conduct we've seen in charge against public, other public officials in powerful positions, the former prosecutor said. Ladies and gentlemen, did the president of the United States fire Mueller? No. Did he prevent any funds from going to the Mueller investigation? No. Did he take any steps whatsoever? No. He had the power to do every single one of those things, and he didn't do it. I'm going to continue on this briefly when we return. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. And now, of course, we have this attack on Bill Barr. You know, if you don't give us that whole damn report by Wednesday, uh, we're going to hold you in contempt. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if Bill Barr gave them the whole report by Wednesday, he would be violating federal law. Since 6E grand jury information is secret as a matter of federal law passed by Congress. So unless Congress amends its own law or Congress goes to the courts and makes the claim that this information should be public and It meets the standard that Congress set in the original statute. The information is not free to be made public, nor should you want it to be made public, grand jury information. If you're ever dragged in front of a grand jury against your will with a subpoena, and you're talking there, and they take a transcript of what you're saying, you're not permitted to have a lawyer. You're not represented. It's purely the prosecutor's tool. And so these people in the Congress and on this committee, they're well aware of this. So why are they doing this? They're trying to humiliate people. They're trying to embarrass people. Even though they know that this stuff is not supposed to be in public. Why did Congress pass this law in the first place? To prevent people from being treated as if they're criminals without any kind of fair due process. And so the Attorney General is trying to protect that. And he's standing up to the law that Congress originally passed. Not this Congress. Not this bunch of mobsters, no. And so they would lose that litigation. So they want to hold him in contempt and create another pseudo-issue. Now we have an attorney general held in contempt. For what? For following the law? For following the law? I want to pick up from Borston again. This is very, very important to understand why this is all being done in unfreedom of the press. So what have the modern media and present-day journalists created? Borston argued that having discarded the journalism of objective truth, quote, in a democratic society like ours, and more especially in a highly literate, wealthy, competitive, and technologically advanced society, the people can be flooded by pseudo-events, which is what's happening every day here, folks. For us, freedom of speech and of the press and of broadcasting includes freedom to create pseudo-events. Competing politicians, competing newsmen, and competing news media contend in this creation, he writes. This is from 1961. They vie with one another in offering attractive, informative accounts and images of the world. They are free to speculate on facts, to bring new facts into being, to demand answers to their own contrived questions. Our free marketplace of ideas is a place where people are confronted by competing pseudo-events and are allowed to judge among them. When we speak of informing the people, this is what we really mean. So Borstein maintained, we spend much of our waking hours living in a world of unreality, fashioned by, among others, the press. He says the American citizen thus lives in a world where fantasy is more real than reality, where the image has more dignity than its original. We hardly dare face our bewilderment because our ambiguous experience is so pleasantly iridescent. 
And the solace of belief in contrived reality is so thoroughly real. We become eager accessories to the great hoaxes of the age. These are the hoaxes we play on ourselves. He says what ails us most is not what we have done with America, but we have substituted for America. We suffer primarily not from our vices or our weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. To discover our illusion, we will not solve the problems of our world. But if we do not discover them, we will never discover our real problems. To dispel the ghosts which populate the world of our making will not give us the power to conquer the real enemies of the real world or to remake the real world. But it may help us discover that we cannot make the world in our image. It will liberate us and sharpen our vision. It will clear away the fog so we can face the world we share with all mankind. We have a fog that's been created by the media here. That's the point. This is all fog. So they're going to hold a man in contempt for upholding the law. Just as they would, these 375 miscreant former prosecutors, charge a president for revealing everything. For revealing everything. We've been living in this phony reality, this unreality created by the Democrats, created by the media now, for decades, but especially the last two and a half years. And it doesn't stop for the reasons Borston says. The pseudo-events become more intense and more necessary for these media outlets. Doesn't this crystallize things better for you, Mr. Producer? Makes them easier to comprehend what's taking place. And that's the whole point of unfreedom of the press. Now, I want to thank Joel Pollack over at Breitbart. He wrote a a really tremendous review of my book this morning, and he posted it at Breitbart. I want to thank the folks there. And so what I've done is I posted that review on my social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. In addition, my publisher did something really unique for me. They took the first chapter of the book, because I think it's a very, very important chapter. It's a lengthy chapter. And they've made it available before the book comes out on Amazon and all the other online sales sites. Barnes & Noble, uh, Books a Million, and so forth. So you can get a really good feel. It was at my request. A really good feel for chapter one. And that, in addition to Joel Pollack's piece, will really give you a good feel for this. Now, I must tell you something. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this. Honest to God, I don't. Our pre-sales are massive. It's bigger than any book since Liberty and Tyranny. So many, many, many of you in this audience are responding, and many, many of you in this audience are gravely concerned about freedom of the press in this country. And you want to learn more about the history of freedom of the press. You want to learn more and more about the way to analyze the press and more and more about what to do about it, rather than just complain about it. And that's what, we're, that's what we've done. And I may read some of from uh, Joel Pollack's piece uh, later in the program. But we have so much to cover right now that uh, we shall see. But um, he believes it's the best book I've written. And he's not the only one to tell me that. He's the third person to tell me that. 
One of them's my wife. And she doesn't lie to me. She says it reads like a novel. So we'll get to that in a moment. So step back and think about this, folks. The president who didn't collude with the Russians, and now they say, well, we don't mean collusion. It's collaboration or conspiracy. Collusion has never been a crime. Excuse me. That word was introduced by you folks in the media. Well, he didn't collaborate or conspire with them either. Nothing of the sort. We know who did that. That would be the Hillary campaign, and that would apparently be the top levels of the FBI. And I might add the media for being the propaganda voices for it all. Okay, so no collusion. So the very basis for all this was a lie. Then we move on to obstruction. President did not commit obstruction. Well, Bob Mueller, I don't give a crap what Bob Mueller says. I don't lead my life through Bob Mueller's uh, vision. I don't lead my life with, well, Bob Mueller interpreted the law. I don't give a damn who Bob Mueller is and how he interpreted anything. The media keeps throwing him out. Look at Bob Mueller. We build him up to being this great man, and he says, gives a damn. What, is he, Confucius? No. So we can read on our own. We can study things on our own. The elements of obstruction were not met. The attorney general was right. Well, look at this. Now we have 375 former federal prosecutors, including Bill Weld. What a reprobate that that guy is. What a sleazeball Bill Weld is. I know it from personal experience. So, of course, you hide behind thugs like Bill Weld. Well, let's move on. No obstruction. Now we have Bill Barr. Man comes into office the second time as attorney general. Pretty much pure as the driven snow. Admired by everybody. Quiet man, diligent, brilliant man, wonderful attorney general. But he won't. He won't be a lackey for the Democrats the way Mueller is. He's not going to do what they want him to do. He won't give them the entire report because of federal law. Under federal regulation, he didn't have to give them any of the report. We're going to hold him in contempt. For what? For following the law. And then we get down, well, he sent this letter, and Mueller sent that letter, and he said he didn't know about this, and but it was it the members, or was it? Look at this. Look at this absolute BS we're being fed. There's a reason why you don't trust the press. The re- there's a reason why you don't respect the press. Because they don't respect you. Because they don't report anymore. Of course, I'm speaking in generalities, but there are exceptions, but I'm talking about the rule. They don't. That's why 80% of Republicans have little or no faith in the media, as you'll see in the book. 80% of Democrats do. Wow, imagine that, which is why I now call them the Democratic Party press. And I do that because, again, historically, there was a period of time, about a 60-year period, where the, where the media, various press, lined up behind one candidate or another, one party or another, and they announced it. As I said before, the Arkansas Democrat, the Arizona Republic, used to be called the Arizona Republican, and you can see them all across the country that way. They made it known, not today. Today, they make it known in many cases that they're left-wing, or they don't. But in either case, no, no, we're not representing any party here. We're just telling the truth. 
We don't we don't represent any party. We're the press. And how dare you question us? You don't get to question us. This is the Wolf Blitzer on Friday. CNN speaks out at the World Press Freedom Day. Cut one, go. And sadly, right here in the United States, reporters who show up to do their jobs are often insulted, harassed, sometimes, as was the case of our friends at the Capitol Gazette in Maryland, they're killed. They were killed because of a psycho who went in there and had a beef with them. It was outrageous. It was horrific. But that's why they were killed. It had nothing to do with press freedom. Nothing. And I wish when Wolf Blitzer talks about this, maybe he would talk about all the police officers who are slaughtered every year in this country. Go ahead. They're called the enemy of the people by the president. Now you see how he tied the president to the killings at the Capitol Gazette when the president had absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. This is why the public hates sleazes like Wolf Blitzer. Go ahead. On this World Press Freedom Day, I'm reminded of the words of the brilliant Dallas TV anchor Dale Hansen, who recently said, we aren't the enemy of the people, we are the people. But you're not the people. You're not the people, you don't try to be the people. There's no diversity in your newsroom, as I prove in the book. There's no diversity or independent thinking among you. There's groupthink. The public's not stupid, Wolf. You're not of and by the people. You're of and by the left, of and by the Democrat Party, and of and by the elite. I'll be right back. Mark in. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound, to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community help students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. Did you see the U.N. came out with another report? No, 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 not trashing the Israelis this time. Not trashing the United States this time. No, no, no. Another one of these phony climate reports. Remember the past climate reports and all the fault that was easily found in those reports? The U.N. shouldn't be doing reports. The U.N.'s very bad at it. Well, we have the absolute best response to the U.N., which we're going to play for you 
next hour. The absolute best response. Also, we're going to talk about what's taking place in the Middle East. The Palestinian terrorists attacking Israeli citizens in their homes and in their schools and in their communities. And we'll look at Omar and Talib and the other anti-Semite, America-hating members of Congress and their take on it, as well as the media, CBS Morning News, the Today Show. Oh, we got plenty for you. Hang in there. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, ladies and gentlemen, isn't it interesting that the position of the left in our country in the U.N., mesh just perfectly you see the UN says the problem is fossil fuel the problem is capitalism industry production in other words the United States basically we're going to lose a million species they say a million it's the worst situation mankind has ever faced How do they know what took place 300,000 years ago? They have no idea. Doesn't matter. You, we the people. You're productive. The economy is booming like never before. We're creating jobs. We're creating new businesses and industries. We're actually energy independent. Nobody ever thought we'd be energy independent because, you see, they have no faith in American ingenuity and creativity and productivity. And yet we do because that's us. We're the Americans. So the same United Nations that condemns Israel day in and day out while it turns its back on one fascistic and communist genocidal regime after another. It condemns Israel day in and day out, but not North Korea, not Cuba, not China, not Iran. No. The same UN that lied about results. In the first wave of so-called global warming, they're back. And the media love it. Oh, they're running with it. Chuck Todd over there at NBC, meet the depressed. I told you all, I told all of you folks there, man-made climate change is not up for debate. And so we'll have none of it here at meet the depressed or NBC, where I'm the cheap political whatever. Well, you know what this is? This is a comedy. When the U.N. puts out a report like that, it's a joke. And so I'm going to respond the same way. This will be the third time in how many years, Mr. Producer? Many years, let's put it that way. That I will be relying on a true climate meteorological genius, George Carlin. I fear the U.N., Put out a joke of a report. Now let's have a response that people can actually understand. It won't be that long. Two segments. Really less than two segments. But let's get started. George Carlin from his 1992 HBO special. You're not going to want to miss this. 
which is leave nature alone, the planet is fine. Cut 20, go. You got people like this around you, country's full of them now. People walking around all day long, every minute of the day, worried about everything. Worried about the air, worried about the water, worried about the soil. Worried about insecticides, pesticides, food additives, carcinogens. Worried about radon gas, worried about asbestos. Worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species, all right? Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. It's arrogant meddling. It's what got us in trouble in the first place. Doesn't anybody understand that? Interfering with nature. Over 90%, over, way over, 90% of all the species that have ever lived on this planet, ever lived, are gone. They're extinct. We didn't kill them all. They just disappeared. That's what nature does. They disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day. And I mean regardless of our, our behavior. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Let them go gracefully. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? We're so self-important. So self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. Save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save those snails. <laughs> and the greatest arrogance of all, save the planet. What? Are these f people kidding me? <laughs> save the planet? We don't even know how to take care of ourselves yet. We haven't learned how to care for one another. We're going to save the f planet? I'm getting tired of that Tired of that I'm tired of Earth Day. I'm tired of these self-righteous environmentalists, these white bourgeois liberals who think the only thing wrong with this country is there aren't enough bicycle paths. People trying to make the world safe for their Volvos. Besides, environmentalists don't give a shit about the planet. They don't care about the planet. Not in the abstract, they don't. Not in the abstract, they don't. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live their own habitat. They're worried that someday in the future they might be personally inconvenienced. Narrow, unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there is nothing wrong with the planet. Nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are <laughs> Difference. Difference. The planet is fine. Compared to the people, the planet is doing great. It's been here four and a half billion years. Do you ever think about the arithmetic? Planet has been here four and a half billion years. We've been here, what, 100,000? Maybe 200,000? And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat? That somehow we're going to put in jeopardy this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a-floating around the sun? The planet has been through a lot worse than us. Been through all kinds of things worse than us. Been through earthquakes, volcanoes, plate tectonics, continental drift, solar flares, sunspots, magnetic storms, the magnetic reversal of the poles, hundreds of thousands of years of bombardment by comets and asteroids and meteors, worldwide floods, tidal waves, worldwide fires, erosion, cosmic rays, recurring ice ages, and we think some plastic bags and some aluminum cans are going to make a difference? The planet... The planet... The planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. Pack your folks. We're going away. 
And we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe. A little styrofoam. Planet will be here and we'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed-end biological mistake. An evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. A surface nuisance. This is the best way I can think of to respond to the UN report. We get these reports. Uh, the, you know, the end times are here. And I'm sick and tired of it. And then there we are again with another pseudo-event put out by a bunch of phonies with a political agenda really aimed at, uh, of, at America's decline. They all feed into the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party feeds into the UN. They'd love nothing more than to surrender our sovereignty to these organizations. But he wasn't done. Cut 21. Go. You want to know how the planet's doing? Ask those people at Pompeii who are frozen into position from volcanic ash how the planet's doing. Wonder if the planet's all right? Ask those people in Mexico City or Armenia or a hundred other places buried under thousands of tons of earthquake rubble if they feel like a threat to the planet this week. How about those people in Kilauea, Hawaii who build their homes right next to an active volcano and then wonder why they have lava in the living room. The planet will be here for a long, long, long time after we're gone, and it will heal itself, it will cleanse itself, because that's what it does. It's a self-correcting system. The air and the water will recover, the earth will be renewed, and if it's true that plastic is not degradable, well, the planet will simply incorporate plastic into a new paradigm, the earth plus plastic. (laughs) The earth doesn't share our prejudice towards plastic. Plastic came out of the earth. The earth probably sees plastic as just another one of its children. Could be the only reason the earth allowed us to be spawned from it in the first place. It wanted plastic for itself. (laughs) Didn't know how to make it. Needed us. Could be the answer to our age-old philosophical question, why are we here? Plastic. So... The plastic is here. Our job is done. We can be phased out now. And I think that's really started already, don't you? I mean, to be fair, the planet probably sees us as a mild threat, something to be dealt with. And I'm sure the planet will defend itself in in, in the uh, manner of a large organism, like a beehive or an ant colony can muster a defense. I'm sure the planet will think of something. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky, troublesome species? Let's see. What might... Hmm, viruses. Viruses might be good. They seem vulnerable to viruses, and uh, viruses are tricky, always mutating and forming new strains whenever a vaccine is developed. Perhaps this first virus could be one that, that compromises the immune system of these creatures, perhaps a human immunodeficiency virus, making them vulnerable to all sorts of other diseases and infections that might come along, and maybe it could be spread sexually, making them a little reluctant to engage in the act of reproduction. Well, that's a poetic note, and it's a start. And I can dream, can I? So I don't worry about the little things. Bees, trees, whales, snails. I think we're part of a greater wisdom than we will ever understand. A higher order. Call it what you want. Know what I call it? The big electron. The big electron. Whoa. 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 It doesn't punish. It doesn't reward. It doesn't judge at all. 
It just is. And so are we for a little while. There you go. The great George Carlin. Back in 1992. Imagine what he'd be saying today. Ladies and gentlemen, this stuff from the media is never ending. Borston was right. He was a genius in 1961. He was a an iconic history professor at Chicago and became head of the Library of Congress. We are surrounded, surrounded with these pseudo-events. They are fed to us on a regular basis. That's much of what the media have become. It's social activism. It's Democrat Party promotion. It's progressive ideology. And that's what we're, that's what we're dealing with day in and day out. The problem is you can't dismiss it. You really have to understand it in order to deal with it. Because it affects our government, it affects our national psyche, and a lot of people live by it. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Mark, why do you keep talking about your book? Because it's relevant to what's taking place. If it was a book about paint by numbers, then that would be bizarre, right? Or the ocean or something. The reason for the book is to deal with what's taking place. Now, I mentioned Joel Pollack at Breitbart that he had written a review. I didn't even ask Joel to write a review. He just did. And he writes, Mark Levin's latest book, Unfreedom of the Press, examines the current state of our news media and explains how they became, with few exceptions, Servants to the Democratic Party and progressive political ideology. Like liberty and tyranny in which Levin anticipated the leftward lurch of American politics under Obama, unfreedom of the press shows the author's uncanny powers of premonition. It's a little embarrassing for me to read it, but I want you to know about it. Levin's new book was begun long before April's full release of special counsel Robert Mueller's two-year investigation into so-called Russia collusion which destroyed the media's hysterical post-2016 conspiracy theory and erased much of what was left of public trust in journalism. Levin anticipated that collapse well in advance. His book is therefore especially timely. In this reviewer's opinion, Unfreedom of the Press is also Levin's finest work. In some of his books, such as Ameritopia, Levin presents his best arguments up front in the introductory chapter and uses the subsequent chapters to expand on those arguments. In Unfreedom of the Press, however, as the Liberty Amendments, Levin retains a sense of suspense, using each chapter to present an entirely new idea. Each relates to the central theme, but also stands on its own. Read in the context of current debates about the media, in which a new scandal seems to appear every day, Unfreedom of the Press carries unique argumentative force. Ten years ago, in righteous indignation, Andrew Breitbart identified what he called the Democrat media complex. Levin takes apart the complex itself and explains both how and why it operates the way it does. His inquiry broadly proceeds along two dimensions. One is vertical or historical, explaining the history of American ideas about the role of the press in a free society. The other is horizontal, a philosophical exploring the ideas that leading American journalists currently express about what they do and how those ideas compare to the standards expanded by journalists who sought throughout history to improve and protect the relationship between the press and the public. Levin's historical argument begins with the Patriot Press, the pre-revolutionary era of publishing and pamphleteering in which the very notion of freedom of the press was born. 
The press then, he writes, was partisan, urging support for independence. But it was also committed to promoting the principles of a free society. The so-called partisan cause of the free press, in other words, was freedom itself. Today's media, in contrast, while arguing for press freedom, does so while also arguing for the expansion of state power, such that the only the press will be free, and only the part of the press that conforms to the left-wing dogma. Following the revolutionary era, Levin continues, the party press era emerged in which news media consciously took sides in political disputes. They didn't strive to achieve objectivity, but were openly propagandistic. The result was a deeply divided country, one that would soon erupt into a civil war. We face a similar challenge today, Levin writes, quote, the party press is back and with a vengeance. The difference is that the media today are almost uniformly on one side. They have been liberal for decades, but dropped all pretense of objectivity, first in their support for Barack Obama, later in their disdain for Donald Trump. Some even cloak their partisanship in civic idealism, arguing that Trump is such a threat to democracy that the news media should reject objectivity and instead advocate for his defeat. It is common to hear the media complain that Trump is a threat to the press freedom, but Levin points out that Trump has done nothing to restrict the press, in contrast to some of his predecessors. Levin notes numerous examples of past presidents taking governmental actions that did in fact suppress press freedom. And these examples date back to John Adams and Ford to Barack Obama. In the Trump era, Levin maintains, the real threat to press freedom is not President Trump, but the press itself, which is destroying the distinction between fact and opinion in pursuit of partisan ends, which in turn means the destruction of the press as a crucial institution for a free people. There's more at work than mere bias, Levin argues. He explores the ideas of progressive thinkers and policymakers who believe that the media ought to use propagandistic techniques to shape public opinion toward the supposed right views on, for instance, climate change. In the case of the Iran deal, he notes, the Obama administration used the echo chamber provided by appliant media to create public consensus in support of an agreement that arguably placed national security itself at risk. And the most recent notorious example of all is the Russia collusion story. He calls it, Levin, the biggest pseudo-event and news scam perpetrated against the American people by the Democratic Party press in modern times. Not only do the media create false stories, but they also suppress real ones. And Levin spends an entire chapter exploring the history of the effort by the New York Times and its publisher, Arthur Sulzberger Jr., to suppress the news of the Holocaust in Europe during the Second World War, and before that, the famine created by the Soviet Union against the Ukrainians. And he lists other, more recent examples, the Times attempting to hide the truth from its readers, such as the constant effort to cover for anti-Israel terror committed by Palestinian Hamas and Iran-backed Hezbollah. It goes on. I would encourage you to take a look at it yourself. It's up on my social sites, as is Chapter 1. Go pre-order your copy at Amazon.com. I'll be right back. Don't ask him for middle ground. There is no middle ground. Talk with Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. Mother's Day is coming up, and there's absolutely nothing most of us wouldn't do to make sure your special moms in your life are happy. Provide a personal anecdote. Well, I'll give you a personal anecdote. There is my wife, 
And there is my mother-in-law, there's my daughter, there's my niece. Magnificent women. By the way, all conservatives. Magnificent women all. I don't know what I'd do without them. Well, Sherry's Berries has special Mother's Day berries designed just for mom that are topped with chocolate chips, pink shimmer sugar, and swizzles. You choose your delivery date to ensure mom gets your gift of Sherry's Berries exactly when you want her to. And your satisfaction is always guaranteed. Don't wait until the last minute on this one. Visit berries.com today to order freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 for the moms in your life. To make mom really happy, you can double the berries for just $10 more. Mother's Day is this Sunday. Today is Monday. By my count, you're running out of time. Sunday, May 12th. So visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Make sure you click that microphone. It's on the upper right corner of the page and enter my code LEVIN so you can get the deal. That's berries.com, the microphone, upper right corner of the page, code LEVIN. One more time, berries.com, click the microphone, code L-E-V-I-N. Well, let's look at the news coverage, if you will, of the terrorists that are shooting missiles, over 700 of them now, unprovoked, into Israeli towns and communities, aiming at elementary schools. And by the way, shooting them from hospitals and elementary schools, because that's what Hamas does. And that's what the other terrorist organizations do, backed by Hezbollah, Iran, and the Muslim Brotherhood. And Israel's trying to defend itself. Now, you and I both know if Mexico or Canada shot 700 missiles into our communities, that would be an act of war. And we wouldn't be pinpointing attacks in response. We'd be sending our heavy bombers in, wouldn't we? This is also an example why there could never be a two-state solution, this idiot Mitt Romney. Hey, you know what, uh, out here in Utah, I, I honestly believe there should be a, a two-state so Shut up, Mitt. You're an idiot. You always were, quite frankly. Well, what do you think the Gaza Strip is? And now what is it? To rat nest with Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, backed by Iran, and on and on and on. Hey, we should give them more of our country. No, uh, you shouldn't. Anyway, John Dickerson on CBS This Morning. Who does he blame for starting these attacks? Cut to go. A ceasefire appears to be holding between Israel and the Palestinian militants in Gaza after one of the worst outbreaks of violence there in five years. Both sides have launched hundreds of rockets and missiles at one another since Friday. There you go. It's both sides. I'm John Dickerson on ABC this morning, and I'm sitting here in, uh, you know, New York City. Just had my nails done and my, my hair boofed up and... About a half inch of makeup on my face, and I'm going to tell you what's going on in the Middle East. Let me, let me tell you here. Both sides are shooting rocks at each other. You idiot. Craig Melvin. Who? Craig Melvin on the Today Show today. Cut three, go. The worst weekend of fighting between Israel and Gaza militants in about five years. Two sides exchanging deadly rocket fire. Oh. That's what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. Hat tip to Washington Free Beacon, by the way. Yes, two sides just exchanging deadly rocket fire. There's your news. 
What is it about the news in the state of Israel? What is it about the New York Times in the state of Israel? It, it, I know it's, it's counterintuitive, but it is what it is. Now, I'm not going to get into the history of the Holocaust uh, and the way it was treated by the New York Times and the rest of the American media. Uh, we'll do that another day, even more extensively than we have in the past. But I do want to give you a little bit more insight into this. Ever hear of Matty Friedman? Of course you haven't heard of Matty Friedman. And I do my research for these books. I find these people, and they're, they're sharp. Matty Friedman's a former Associated Press correspondent who covered Israel for a time. And she explained the modus operandi of most of her former journalists, that is her colleagues, when reporting about Israel. And a few years back, she wrote an article in the left-wing Atlantic titled, What the Media Gets Wrong About Israel, The News Tells Us Less About Israel Than About the People Writing the News. So she's a former AP reporter. She wrote in part, Journalistic decisions are made by people who exist in a particular social milieu. One which, like most social groups, involves a certain uniformity of attitude, behavior, even dress. The fashion these days, for those interested, is less vests with unnecessary pockets than shirts with unnecessary buttons. These people know each other, meet regularly, exchange information, and closely watch one another's work. This helps explain why a reader looking at articles written by the half-dozen biggest news providers in that region on a particular day We'll find that though the pieces are composed and edited by completely different people and organizations, they tend to tell the same story. Now, does that sound familiar to you folks? She says, in these circles, in my experience, a distaste for Israel has come to be something between an acceptable prejudice and a prerequisite for entry. I don't mean a critical approach to Israeli policies or to the current government, but a belief that to some extent the Jews of Israel are a symbol of the world's ills, particularly those connected to nationalism, militarism, colonialism, racism, an idea quickly becoming one of the central elements of the so-called progressive Western zeitgeist, spreading from the European left to American college campuses and intellectuals, including journalists. In this social group, this sentiment is translated into editorial decisions made by individual reporters and editors covering Israel, and this in turn gives such thinking the means of mass self-replication. Now folks, have you ever wondered how the terrorist group Hamas received so much favorable coverage in the American and international press? Well, this former AP reporter Friedman, she explains... She writes, most consumers of the Israel story don't understand how the story is manufactured. But Hamas does. Since assuming power in Gaza in 2007, the Islamic resistance movement has come to understand that many reporters are committed to a narrative when Israelis are oppressors and Palestinians passive victims with reasonable goals and are uninterested in contradictory information. Recognizing this... Certain Hamas spokesmen have taken to confiding to Western journalists, including some I know personally, that the group is in fact a secretly pragmatic outfit with bellicose rhetoric and journalists eager to believe the confession and sometimes unwilling to credit locals with the smarts necessary to deceive them, have taken it as a scoop instead of a spin. Once again, I point out, the media are complicit in suppressing news and promoting propaganda. She goes on, in Gaza, this goes from being a curious detail of press psychology to a major deficiency. Hamas's strategy is to provoke 
a response from Israel by attacking from behind the cover of Palestinian civilians, thus drawing Israeli strikes that kill those civilians, and then to have the casualties filmed by one of the world's largest press contingents with the understanding that the resulting outrage abroad will blunt Israel's response. This is a ruthless strategy, but an effective one. It is predicated on the cooperation of journalists. One of the reasons it works is because of the reflex I mentioned. If you report that Hamas has a strategy based on co-opting the media, this raises several different questions, like what exactly is the relationship between the media and Hamas? And has this relationship corrupted the media? And so you see, ladies and gentlemen, you get a guy like John Dickerson at CBS This Morning, you get a guy like Craig Melvin on the Today Show, where two sides are exchanging deadly rocket fire without explaining how this began and who the perpetrator is. And this has been obvious now for years and years and years. There was a piece, oh, a few years back. I'm looking here at my book. A few years back, 2018, actually, Christmas Eve 2018. That's just a few months back. In the New York Times. And they published as news an event by the Lebanon-based Iranian-backed terrorist group Hezbollah, which is responsible for killing hundreds of American soldiers, by the way. And it's intended to portray Hezbollah in a kumbaya moment. A perfect piece of propaganda. A news story. The Iranian cultural attaché stepped up to the microphone on a stage flanked by banners bearing the faces of Iran's two foremost religious authorities, Ayatollah Khomeini, founder of the Islamic Republic, and Ayatollah Khomeini, the current supreme leader. Two inbred throwbacks, of course. To the left of Ayatollah Khomeini stood a twinkling Christmas tree, a gold star gilding its tip, Angel ornaments and miniature Santa hats nestled among its branches. Fake snow dusted, fake pine needles. This is out of the New York Times. Today, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, the cultural attaché, Muhammad Mehdi Shara, ah, whatever, yabba-dabba, announced into the microphone, and also the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution, he says. Hallelujah, boomed another speaker, Elias Hachman, reciting a poem he'd written for the event. Jesus the Savior is born, the King of Peace, the Son of Mary. He frees the slaves, he heals. The angels protect him, the Bible and the Koran embrace. We're celebrating a rebel, proclaimed a third speaker, the new Mufti of the Shiite Muslims of Lebanon, the rebel in question being Jesus. The Mufti, Ahmad Kabbalan, went on to engage in some novel religious and political thinking. Christians and Muslims, he said, are one family against corruption, with social justice, against authority, against Israel, with the Lebanese army, and with resistance. So, as I point out, here you have Hezbollah compares its wanton tyrannous bloodlust against the Jews with the life of Jesus and the birth of Christianity. The Mufti's novel religious and political thinking, as he calls it, is not novel at all. It's a purposeful act of propaganda aimed at the New York Times and its ilk. And it works. The Times editorialized favorably within its news columns. And later, the Times took a slap at the U.S. government's designating Hezbollah as a terrorist organization and wrote of Hezbollah's earlier acts of religious tolerance toward Christians. And just keep in mind, 
Lebanon was a beautiful, beautiful country. A very peaceful country. Militarily a very weak country. A parliamentary system. In Iran, through Hezbollah, all but destroyed it. Oh, and by the way, slaughtered Christians too. Assassinated a one-time president of of, uh, Lebanon who was a Christian too. All of this is left out of the New York Times. All facts are left out of the New York Times. It's all propaganda. All propaganda. And you're seeing it today in the other media. One more time, Mr. Producer. John Dickerson, CBS News this morning. I'm just trying to pull it all together. That's the point of the book. Cut to go. A ceasefire appears to be holding between Israel and the Palestinian militants in Gaza after one of the worst outbreaks of violence there in five years. Both sides have launched hundreds of rockets and missiles at one another since there you Friday. Go. Then we have Craig Melvin on the Today Show. Cut three, go. The worst weekend of fighting between Israel and Gaza militants in about five years. Two sides exchanging deadly rocket fire. There you go. And it gets worse throughout the day. It gets worse throughout the day. And by the way, Iran was plotting some massive attack against American interests. Could be military, could be business, could be anything. Uh, In the Middle East. That's why we sent the USS Lincoln and even more. A bomber squadron. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the purpose of our bombers isn't to pinpoint attack a terrorist here, a terrorist there. It's to blow things into smithereens. Big things, lots of things. We sent our bombers over there. We haven't done that in a long time. Iran plotting another attack on us. Responsible for killing hundreds of Marines. Responsible for killing, really, hundreds and hundreds of our armed forces uh, during our war in and with Iraq. And this president's not going to take it. Now, where did he get the intelligence from? The Israelis. The Mossad. They shared it with the United States government. The United States government took a fresh look on its own and said, yeah, I think we have a problem here. And so the carrier group was sent over. The bombers were sent over. You don't get to blow up Americans anymore under this president. How much of that did you learn from the media? Very little. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, maybe you think that cybercrime is something that happens to other people. Well, you may think that no one wants your data. Or that hackers can't grab your passwords or your credit card details. But, of course, they can do all those things. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your Internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on huge billboards for the rest of the world to see. Or some of those planes that write stuff in the sky. Well, that's why I decided to take action, to protect myself from cyber criminals, and I use the very best. It's called ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and makes anonymous your Internet browsing, 
by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address so the bad guys can't get it. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer and phone and your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN is as simple as can be. It takes one click. Using ExpressVPN, I can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having my personal data stolen. So when you type in the public Wi-Fi, like when you're on the plane or you're at a coffee shop or something like that, you're vulnerable, except if you have ExpressVPN. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and they come with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there is no risk. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mark. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mark for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mark to learn more. I don't understand why people, they get into public Wi-Fi or what have you, or they use, or you use your own systems and you're not protected properly. I don't understand why people don't protect themselves, particularly when it's so cheap. And particularly when you know there's so many bad people out there trying to rip you off. ExpressVPN.com slash Mark is the way to go, in my opinion. Well, there's a lot more to get to tonight, and uh, we are going to get to it. And that includes these attacks on our attorney general by the reprobates who call themselves Democrats. Oh, yeah. And by the reprobates who call themselves media people. You have the, uh, the low IQ, really negative IQ territory, Joe Scarborough, out there saying that uh, the things he's saying about Barr, I think this guy's off his, uh, his meds. I really do. He is a sick, sick man. But I also want you to hear some of what Sally Pipes had to say last night on Fox. She's an expert on health care. She was fascinating, absolutely compelling. So we've got a lot to go over. I hope you'll stick with us. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know, I'm a big Al Green fan. I think he's passed since. Wonderful singer, musician. But there's another Al Green. He's in Congress, and he is really... He's Al Green in Congress. And he basically tells the truth by accident. Here he is on MSLSD being asked about impeaching Trump. Hat tip, right scoop, cut eight, go. Congressman, are you concerned that impeachment talk may actually help the president's re-election? I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get re-elected. Wow. So you see, we've got to get rid of the president now so he can't run for re-election. Because I'm concerned he'll win. 
He just let it out. Isn't that amazing? Go ahead. Don't impeach him. He will say he has been vindicated. He will say the Democrats had an overwhelming majority in the House and they didn't take up impeachment. He will say that we had a constitutional duty to do it if it was there and we didn't. He will say that he has been vindicated. But here's why. Why why are you talking for the president of the United States? You realize what a fool you sound like? You realize what a fool you will sound like? You were pushing for impeachment the day he was elected. You're wrong on collusion. You're wrong on obstruction. I don't care how many former federal prosecutors you get to sign a letter. There's far more than 370 or 80 of them out there. So there's Al Green. He uh, he gave up the uh, he gave up the the fact that what this is really about is preventing Trump from winning re-election. So we got to get him now. Then we have Eric Swalwell. Now. In the world of the current media, Eric Swalwell is everywhere. When we had a real media, Eric Swalwell would be dismissed as a mental patient. Now he wants to be your president. We now live in an era where somebody runs for Congress, they serve for about 12 minutes, and uh, then they want to be your president. Well, what about Trump? Uh, Actually, Trump has done something with his life. Can anybody tell me what Swalwell has done? Of course not. Of the uh, Walenda family, the Swalwells. Ever hear the Swalwells at the circus, Mr. Producer? It's a high wire act. Eric Swalwell. Yeah, he used to go around in his uh, tights, swinging from one platform to the other. Heard of the Walendas? Well, that's the Swalwells. And uh, Eric Swalwell was on Deface the Nation. I'll keep something in mind again. There's no need to put Eric Swalwell on TV, certainly not on Deface the Nation, except they like what he has to say about Trump, so they bring him on. Cut seven, go. Do you support impeachment of the president? This president is taking us down that road. It's, it's maybe the only road to save the country, but right now... So if know, we don't impeach the president, we won't save the country. Now think about what an idiot this guy is. First of all, even if they impeach the president, he's not going to be removed. So how does that save the country? Even if if the process, how does that save the country? Go ahead. With the attorney general, I think we should move to impeach him first. I'm I'm the father of a a two-year-old. Who gives a damn what you're the father of, you moron? Now, let me tell you something. It's like Kasich. How many times do we need to hear his father was a letter carrier? Okay, great. What's it have to do with you, you jerk? So here we have the father of whatever. First, we got to take out Barr. Then we got to take out the president to save the country, of course. Impeach. And then we'll circle back and we'll get Kavanaugh. We're going to take care of this. Off with their heads. This guy wants to be president. Why? He actually wants to take your guns away from you. He actually wants to take your guns away. He makes no bones about it. Try, you big dummy. Go ahead. We're going through the terrible twos. When my son misbehaves, we take a toy away. Nobody gives a damn, and and your analogy is really bizarre. Analogy is really bizarre. So this is what makes up the Democrat caucus. Then we have this guy, Steve Cohen. This guy is a one-man freak show. He reminds me very much of Joe Scarborough in many respects. And he's on CNN. 
And uh, let's go to cut four. Go. So Chairman Nadler has talked about moving to contempt proceedings if the attorney general doesn't comply. What is that actually? What would that now, actually let's stop. You, you realize how excited the media are, these these so-called journalists. You realize how excited they are? Hey, hey, this, uh, hey guess what? The Chairman Nadler is ready. He's, he's ready to go after. Uh, uh, he's ready to go to the attorney general. What, what's that going to look like? Please tell us. What, what's that going to look like? Or tell us, tell us, uh, tell us, Congressman Green. Tell us, impeachment. Are you for impeachment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For impeachment? Go ahead. Well, I hope it would be inherent contempt because in inherent contempt, we'd go out and take him and bring him in and have him personally brought to the House. If it's now, a- now listen to this, fool. We would personally have him brought to the House, the House of Representatives, Personally, have him brought to the house. We send the sergeant arms. Hey, dummy, he's got what's called the FBI, the DEA, the U.S. Marshals. He's got more gun power than you could possibly have. He's there in the House Judiciary Committee. You and your fried chicken and your KFC bucket sitting there making jokes, being a funny guy. You really are a funny guy. I bet this guy was kicked all over the playground. I'll bet he was kicked by the girls. May I say that with all due respect? Kicked all, kicked all over the playground. I bet he was at, at Steve Cohen. He's quite the guy. He really is. Go ahead. We want to send out Probably like the, the sergeant at arms and and force the attorney general to come. Yes, because otherwise it's up to the Justice Department. The oh, Justice I see. So you're going to send the sergeant at arms <laughs> to get the attorney general out of the department. You sound like that idiot Jerry Connolly out of Fairfax, Virginia. We're going to put people in prison. Uh, even the liberal press. Uh, can you repeat? Yes, we're going to put people in prison. You can't defy Congress this way. No. Not unless you're Obama and Clinton and any other Democrat. Otherwise, you can't defy Congress this way. You know, can't be above the law. So we're going to put people in prison. We're going to bring them over here, put them, <laughs> put them in handcuffs, lock them up in the cafeteria over here. Make him eat the peanut butter and jelly. Oh, yeah, that stuff's ranch. I've been sitting here a very, very long time here. Yeah. And what about you, Mr. Coon? What? Oh, yeah. We're going to send the sergeant of arms over there. Go ahead. He's not going to do anything to uh, take a contempt citation from us and enforce it against the, their, their boss. So, you know, you've got an impossible situation there. You listen to this leave- rambling buffoon? Look here, we, we're not going to take a contempt citation and uh, give it to the boss, and we got to figure out how to enforce it. And uh, and uh, and uh, uh, yeah, and and then uh, where's where's my lollipop? Go ahead. There's no other alternative except to use our sergeant at arms and to bring him in. He is being utterly contemptuous of Congress. He has lied to the Congress. Charlie Crist asked him about the uh, attitudes or the feelings of the Mueller people and Mueller. Yeah, he didn't know the attitudes or the feelings of the Mueller people, you idiot. But he didn't get hit in. But he didn't get it right. He didn't get it right. So we're going to send the sergeant at arms, go over there and get him. Doesn't this guy sound like one of those raincoat guys, Mr. Producer? On the corner, when it's raining, standing there in his raincoat, nothing else on, naked under his raincoat, standing in the corner, calling over the passerbys. Hey, come over here. Come over here. Go ahead. Oh, idea. He lied. 
Speaker Pelosi said that yesterday. So, She's correct. Oh, Speaker Pelosi said he lied. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Speaker Pelosi said he lied, so he must have lied. He lied. We'll send the Sergeant Arms over there. We're going to bring him over here. We're going to lock him up. We're going to force feed him tomatoes. We're going to do all kinds of stuff to this guy, this Attorney General. He doesn't know any better. I don't know who he's messing with over here. Jerry Nadler? Jerry Nadler? Let me tell you about this Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary. Let me tell you about it. He used to be a weightlifter. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Guy used to weigh 360 pounds. Every time he stood up, he was a weightlifter. Go ahead. They bring him in. Are you? Do you actually... Uh actually support the idea of I mean now, by the way Anderson Cooper is having more fun with this even more I think when he did that interview of Stormy Daniels go ahead and uh, uh, are you talking about just having him sit for a hearing or or locking him up somehow uh, you have to have him sit for a hearing and I think you have to have him locked up and unless he he agrees to participate and come to the hearing <laughs> Can you imagine if we didn't have a constitution and a rule of law? These clowns would be in charge. Why isn't this man expelled from the United States House of Representatives? Why isn't anybody talking about his mental condition? He's obviously a nut. I'm quite serious. He's a nut. Cohen is a nut. What's his name? Steve Cohen? Yes, we, yeah. here's what we're going to do. We're going to have him sit for a hearing. Uh, we're going to have to lock him up. Unless he agrees to participate, coming up, we're going to have to lock him up, force him to sit, well, we'll handcuff him to the chair. We're going to have to do that. He can drink some water, as long as we don't, you know, use plastic straws or paper straws. And, yeah, we'll, we'll let him do that. Have to sit there with a box of KFC in front of him. we we got all kinds of ideas here. We, 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 we'll get him to speak. We'll get him to talk. We're, we're, worst comes to worst, we'll waterboard him. We'll waterboard him. We'll, we'll show him how it's done over here in the... Uh, House Judiciary Committee. I feel so bad for Bill Barr. He must be saying, what the hell did I get myself into here? I'm, I'm, I'm an attorney general. I'm following the rules, and they're going to hold me in contempt for not violating the law. They're going to hold me in contempt for not violating the law? We should prosecute the President of the United States for not violating the law? And then they tell us, impeachment, that's not criminal. That, that's political. They go back and forth. They got their prosecutor buddies. Hey, I have an idea. What's that? Let's do this list of former federal prosecutors who say, well, we would have charged. We would have charged Trump. Oh, good for you. And what's the point of that? Well, just to undermine the attorney general, of course. Former federal prosecutors. We all walk on water, don't you know? Because this is all politicized now. Media love it. You heard that, Anderson Cooper. Wait a minute. So when you say bring him in, are you actually actually support the idea of putting him Are you talking about just having him sit for a hearing or locking him up somehow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we are. Mm, we're going to make him sit for a hearing, or we're going to lock him up. Now, ask you a question. Why would CNN's Anderson Cooper bring a nut like this on his program? For ratings, right? He's the Morton Downey Jr., of anchors. That's why he interviewed Stormy Daniels. What happened to Stormy Daniels? She's off dancing somewhere, I guess. Where is Stormy Daniels? Has anybody asked? 
How about that psychobabble professor from Yale? You know, the President of the United States. Yes. I can tell all the way here from Yale that he is mentally unstable. And uh, you don't want him anywhere near that nuclear button. You don't want him anywhere near that. What happened to that woman? Never heard of her again. Or that author, uh, author Wolf. That author, Wolf. It's a nonfiction. Well, everybody denies they said what they said. Well, it's a nonfiction. Are they going to drag Woodward out again? Well, it's anonymous. Hey, don't make me release the tapes. I release the tapes. I'll show you. I I know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, like Bill Casey, who was unconscious. Look, I did a seance. Bill and I are close. Wow, look at this. Look what's going on in this country between the media and the and the miscreants in Congress. This it's it's like the Chinese are on the move, Russia's on the move, Iran's on the move, uh, and Hezbollah's on the move. Everyone's on the move, and they, they got to be looking at this. This is the true deterioration of a republic, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where a growing business connect qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate. And right now, you, my listeners, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Ready? ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, we have Joe Biden. I've got to play some of these things. It's just too much fun. He's in South Carolina on Saturday. He's talking about voter suppression. You know, in 1975, he was all for voter suppression. In fact, he was for segregation. But don't worry, the Democrats are going to give him a pass. The media will give him a pass, you know. Cut 10, go. The single most important right you have as an American, the right to vote. No, 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 that's not the single most important right you have as an American. The right to life is your single most important right. The right to life. Which Joe Biden opposes because he believes in a radical position on abortion and all the Democrats apparently believe in infanticide. So let's not screw that up. The right to life is the single most important right. Go ahead. And folks, last year, 24 states introduced or enacted at least 70 bills to curtail the right to vote. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They introduced bills to get dead people off their rolls, to get people who registered multiple times off their rolls, to get people who've registered in multiple states off their rolls, to get people who registered under the name Mickey Mouse off their rolls, 
That's what they're trying to do to get their roles under control, not to deny people the right to vote. That is a Democrat problem. That's what the Democrats do. In fact, they're seeking right now to disenfranchise 63 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. And why others won't... Oh, they will. It's just a matter of time, actually. Other people should repeat that. Go ahead. But mostly directed at, quote, people of color. You see it. We got Jim Crow sneaking back in. No, 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 no. I don't know what he's talking about. We actually have Jim Beam sneaking back because I'm convinced that... uh, Joe Biden slurs for a reason, not just his loose dentures and his low IQ. Not Jim Crow sneaking back, Jim Beam sneaking back in the uh, in the Joe Biden campaign. These laws don't target people of color. This this is the kind of race baiting demagoguery that is beneath everybody in this country, including low IQ Joe. I'll be right back. meeting and you can join in at 877-381-3811 by the way attention apac attention adl i noticed the president of the united states said he supports israel 100 percent. i don't believe obama ever said that quite the contrary kamala harris by the way i believe i read this at the uh, daily wire Not a single Democrat running for president in their primary said they endorsed Israel. That's what I recall. Not one. Or maybe there's one. Isn't that interesting? Kamala Harris and an NAACP event today. Cut 11, go. Let's say this loud and clear. Hold on now. Hold on. Let's all breathlessly wait to listen. Kamala's going to speak loud and clear. Here she goes. Cut 11. Go. Let's say this loud and clear. Yeah. Without voter suppression, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia. Now, let's stop there. This is just a bald faced lie. Just look how the left lies to the country. Lies to their own people, say anything that works. Go ahead. Andrew Gillum is the governor of Florida. What the hell is this buffoon talking about? Talk about undermining, undermining faith in our electoral system. So, Stacey Abrams really should be governor of Georgia, and Andrew Gillum should really be governor of Florida. See that, folks? All you people who voted in those states, you screwed up. Go ahead. So the truth is, we yeah. need a new Voting Rights Act. No, we don't. We need some new politicians. Then we have Hillary Rotten Clinton. Cut 12, go. Keep your eye on the whole landscape as it is moving forward. And I think it's also critical to understand that, as I've been telling candidates who have come to see me, you can run... All right, all right, wait, wait, wait. What idiot candidate would come to see her? 
Anyway, go ahead. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. All right, all right, stop, stop. So, really, the Democrat should be governor of Georgia, the Democrat should be governor of Florida, and Hillary Clinton should be president. Because, you see, these, these Republicans stole these elections. And yet, we're told it's Donald Trump who won't accept the outcome of elections if he loses. This is very sick. It truly is. Very sick. To constantly try to undermine the public's faith in the electoral process, to lie, as Biden does, about voter suppression, at the same time try to destroy or remove a president of the United States who was elected fair and square and disenfranchised 63 million voters. No, I'm sorry, Kamala Harris. Ron DeSantis won the election fair and square as governor of Florida, and he is a great governor. And I'm sorry, your buddy Stacey Abrams, she did not win the governor's race in Georgia. Fair and square, they voted her down, thank goodness. She's another nut. Ooh, did I say that? You're damn right I did. Then, of course, there's Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, why would anybody invite her to speak anywhere? I would invite her to be quiet. Rather than pay her money to speak, I'd pay her money to shut up. Wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? She gets $100,000 to speak. She should get $100,000 not to speak. And I bet Bill Clinton would chip in. I really do. And, uh, you know, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. I think Hillary is depressed. I think she's lost her mind. The American people rejected you. But I won the popular vote. No, you won an overwhelming number in California. But there are other states, you know, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and you didn't win those. Even Barack Obama has dismissed you as a knucklehead. Of course, he's dismissed Joe Biden as a knucklehead, too. And, of course, we dismiss him as a knucklehead. All right, let's get to some serious people. Man, the vote's been taken from us. Everybody's taking things from us. I spoke to Sally Pipes last night on Life, Liberty, and Levin, and she was outstanding. And we spoke about the basics, because I don't think it gets out there enough. I said, what is single-payer health care? Cut 17, go. What is single-payer health care? Wait a minute, that sounds like me. Go ahead. Well, that's a very important point because a lot of people have no idea what it really means. Single-payer health care, Mark, means the government is the only provider of health care. All private coverage, private insurance, what people have, employer-sponsored coverage, whatever, is all banned under a single-payer system. And the government provides what is considered medically necessary for the population. So all private health care goes away. Right. All employer health care goes away. Right. 
and the central government takes over the health care issue. Right. There will only be two other organizations that provide health care. One is the VA, the Veteran, Veterans Administration, and the second one would be the Indian Health Services. But Medicare, Medicaid, everything is rolled into one uh, government program. And as Kamala Harris, the senator from California, said, let's get rid of private insurance. Let's get rid of all of that and have the government be in charge. Wait a minute. Not it's Kamala. Hold on. Now, not Kamala. We love Kamala on this show. There's never been a more charismatic, intelligent, articulate candidate from Kamala. Is it Kamala or Kamala these days? I don't know. Is it Heisman or Heisman? Anyway, go ahead. Be in charge. We don't even really know what that means. So we don't know what department would handle it. We don't know who would handle it. We don't know how they would make decisions. Uh, how we as patients would even get our health care? Do we have to contact the government in advance? Is the government going to put us on some kind of a uh, a rationing program? How are we going to see specialists? How are we going to get our medicine? What's going to happen? Now you can go to the grocery store or go to a, 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 a CVS or something and get your drug. We have no idea what they're talking about, do we? Well, I think I do because I'm a former Canadian who grew up under single payer. But what it means is whether you look at the Canadian system, which completely out laws, any private coverage for anything considered medically necessary. The British National Health Service, 90% of Brits are under the government program, which is turning 71. But what it means is that the American people will have to, you know, go to their go to the book an appointment with a doctor but doctors will be paid under bernie sanders plan about forty percent below what they get paid for treating patients today oh, well, well, let's stop right there this is important we're already having a shortage of doctors right and in fact it's predicted am i right that there's going to be even a worse shortage is that right absolutely the american association of medical colleges has predicted that by twenty thirty there will be a shortage in this country of hundred and twenty six thousand doctors and not only that you know a lot of medical students the best and brightest kids have always gone into medicine in this country if they think they're going to be civil servants paid forty percent below are they going to go into medicine too this is a very important point point. and the second thing is that under a government controlled program, government's going to have to decide how much are they going to pay out for health care. And when people think something is free, they're going to demand a lot more of it. So they will have to go under a government-run program to waiting lists, and they will have to ration care. And it's the elderly who will be most harmed by ration care. Yep. The elderly are the target. Cut 18, go. You uh, were born in Canada. What happened to your mother in Canada? So my mother uh, was a senior, and she felt um, that she might have colon cancer. And so now Bernie Sanders says in his plan no person will have to get a referral to go to a specialist. But in systems like Canada and the UK, you have to. That's how you help control cost. So she went to her general practitioner and said she thought she had colon cancer. He said, well, we'll do an X-ray. And so nothing showed up, of course, in the x-ray. And I said, Mom, you don't detect colon cancer with an x-ray. You need a colonoscopy. So she wanted me to call back, but I got her to call back. And he said, well, you know, as a senior, we have too many younger people on the waiting list to get colonoscopy. Some people are waiting eight months to a year. And so she didn't get her colonoscopy. Six months later, she was hemorrhaging. And she went to the hospital in an ambulance, two days in the emergency room, two days in the transit lounge waiting to get a bed and a ward. She got her colonoscopy, but she passed away two weeks later from metastasized colon cancer. That is rationing of care, and you reduce cost by denying care um, to people. But it's very, very sad. And the same thing will happen 
you know, in, in the United States. Look at the number of people in the VA who complain about the VA, the long waiting times, vets are being dying on gurneys waiting for care, there's fraud. The, vet, the VA is a single payer system in this country and people have to realize that's an example on a micro level of what would happen if the government totally took over our health care system. In other words, it's the most inhumane system one can imagine, government-run centralized health care. And Bernie Sanders never talks about the downside of these things because he could give a damn. He's an old red. He's an ideologue. Final one. Cut 19. Go. Sally Pipes, Vermont. They tried the Bernie Sanders experiment the last, what, three years? What happened in Vermont? Well, in Vermont, Governor Shumlin, a Democrat, signed the single-payer bill, which his, you know, Bernie Sanders had been touting for, for years. He signed that bill in 2011. It, it was supposed to come into effect, you know, shortly, but it hadn't been. In 2014, December 2014, he had to withdraw that bill because he said the people of Vermont cannot afford the cost of this single-payer health care system. In Colorado, you know, there was an uh, Amendment 69 on the ballot. It went down 79 to 21. Even John Hickenlooper, the governor at the time, who is now in the race for the Democratic nomination, he urged the people of Colorado not to vote for it. Was that a single-payer plan? It was, and it would more than double the cost of the of the budget of the state of Colorado. How about California? California, the Senate um, in 2017 signed a single payer bill. It had been costed out by the Senate Appropriations Committee $400 billion a year. Think about that. Double the entire budget of the state of California. The Assembly Leader, Mr. Rendon, pulled it and parked it and said, we cannot afford this in the state of New California. York. New York State has passed many times um, at, this, at the assembly level the New York Health Act. Now the Dems have the governorship under Como, they have the Senate, and they have the assembly. The New York Health Act is back on the books. It actually has added long-term care to it. It's even more comprehensive. The original uh, former bill was costed at $130 billion a year. This is going to bring it up to about $160 billion a year. Even some public sector unions, Mark, are saying, hey, we don't want this. We have great health care through our union. And, of course, Governor Cuomo has said, well, he wants the feds to be in charge of health So healthcare. he doesn't want to sign that. No, he doesn't want to sign it either. So what Bernie Sanders and the others are recommending is a deadly hell. A deadly hell. No, she also said during the course of the interview that in Britain they, they, um, they apply a value to an individual's life based on age, based on health, and so forth. And they do that because then they apply a formula on how much they'll spend on that person's health care. So if you're like 75 years old and you have heart disease, they might put a value on your life of $50,000. I'm not kidding. This is what she said. A value may be $50,000 in that category, and they'll say, okay, we'll pay up to $25,000 in cost. Beyond that, we're not going. So if you get cancer or something, it's too bad. You're on your own. So these are very inhumane systems. They make it very difficult for people to live quality lives, to extend their lives and so forth. It really is a lottery system. You got to hope your DNA is strong enough to carry you through. So I felt this topic needed to be addressed. I hope you saw it on Life, Liberty and Levin. Usually they rerun these on Saturday if you didn't. 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. time, but there is breaking news. I read Conservative Review. Former FBI translator who joined CARE in an attempt to shut down terror screening database in the United States, charged with obstructing terror investigation. Yabba dabba 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 yabba do has been charged with misleading investigators and obstructing a probe into al-Shabaab terror. Last year, a Somali-American man was listed as a plaintiff in a lawsuit filed by the terror-tied CARE against the Trump administration as part of a concerted, transparent campaign to have a federal judge declare the U.S. government's terrorist screening database as unconstitutional. This damn group care? Today that man, who served as an FBI translator from 2012 to 15, was charged on multiple counts related to his alleged interference with a federal terrorism probe. Yabadab, 66, of St. Burke, Virginia, was arrested over the weekend and charged with seven counts of making false statements to investigators and one count for obstructing a federal investigation. According to the indictment, he misled investigators when they were scrutinizing a terrorism investigation involving unnamed individuals connected to al-Shabaab, an Islamic terrorist group that operates in East Africa and controls territory in Somalia. In August 28th, Kerr sued the Trump administration on behalf of his family, which included Yabadab, which court papers identified as Yabadab's daughter. Kerr's lawsuit argued that counterterrorism measures imposed by the U.S. Custom and Border Protection amounted to a kind of second-class citizenship. Yeah, funny thing. We treat terrorists as second-class kind of citizens, don't we? This group care? This group care is a front group. A Hamas-tied, Muslim Brotherhood-tied front group. No wonder the Democrats love it. That's a big story up there at Conservative Review, I think. For a few weeks now, I've been reminding you that Mother's Day is fast approaching. Now it's just days away. So 1-800-Flowers is here to help you pick out a gorgeous bouquet that'll show her she's loved. Today only, when you order a dozen sorbet roses, 1-800-Flowers will give you an extra half dozen free, plus a vase for only twenty nine ninety nine. So that's right, buy a dozen sorbet roses, get half a dozen plus a free vase for only $29.99. Now this limited time offer is only available now. It ends tonight. So order now. With an impressive mix of pastel shades and pink, orange, and lavender, those roses are guaranteed to make her smile. Roses are the perfect way to surprise all the moms in your life, wife, sister, grandma, and so forth. These breathtaking roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. Buy a dozen sorbet roses, get half a dozen free, plus a free vase for only $29.99. That's an amazing offer, but you have to hurry because it expires today. And there's only three hours left in today. 1-800-Flowers to make mom feel loved. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com and go to the radio icon and enter code LEVIN. That's the only way to get this deal. Go to the radio icon, enter code L-E-V-I-N to order a dozen sorbet roses. Get half a dozen plus a free vase for only $29.99. 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon, enter code LEVIN. Harry offer ends today.
And I would love to see the biggest Levin surge in recent times tonight. To go on Amazon.com, look up Unfreedom of the Press, and pre-order it. There's only two weeks left. And pre-order your copy. Drive it from number 45 or 49, whatever it is, into the top five. You've been thinking about it? Now's the time to grab it. And we want to salute all you heroes out there. Thank you very, very much. And see you tomorrow, America. God bless.